0: I'm going to ask moms and dads and everybody else in the auditorium here to please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the best kind of how-do-it do type handbook on marriage that I know anything about. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, so the title is kind of weird, huh? Myths of Marriage. And, and it's, uh, you know what, we get these ideas sometimes, uh, we kind of romanticize things, and um, uh, Pat summed it up this, this week really well, she's not sure what I'm going to say, she's a little nervous actually, <clears throat> so, uh, but, but she, she summed it up this way, once upon a time, dot, 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 and they lived happily ever after, and that's what we think. That's what we've been told. That's what, if you were ever a groom, how many here were grooms? Let me see your hand. You were grooms, all right? If you were ever a groom, uh, will you ever forget the glimpse of your bride as she came into the room or came into the air, wherever you were going to get married, and she began walking down the aisle? I mean, it, what an amazing thing, and that beautiful white dress that cost hundreds, hey, some people say thousands of dollars. What? For one time? What? hundreds of dollars and and the flowers that cost hundreds of dollars and her smile that's worth a million dollars and the excitement in the air. You remember that, guys? Don't forget that. Ladies, you remember the sight of your groom as you looked down the aisle? There he was in his tux that was a rental (laughs) that had to be back by 5 p.m. Huh? And, and you, you saw the nervousness and the way he stood. He didn't know what to do with his hands at all. And he was looking at you, and the anticipation was there, and the desire was there. And it was like in his brain, if you're wondering what he was thinking, he was thinking, I wish this would hurry up and get over with. This happens all the time. A woman and a man determined to make vows and to seal those vows with a kiss. And it's the stuff movies are made of and plays are made of and, and novels are written about. We, we love Hallmark movies. We watch those crazy Hallmark movies. And if it's two hours long at, at about the hour and 48-minute mark, I know, okay, they're getting ready to break up. They 're getting ready to break up right now, and, and it looked like nothing's good and then about five minutes till the end, they get back together. everything's all right. They always start out with the wrong couple. you ever notice that the wrong husband, the wrong wife or the wrong uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and something has to happen it's, it's a it 's a predictable thing, but but two people giving themselves each to the other, living happily ever after that 's what happens with Hallmark, not always so in real life, but it could while most Love a wedding, many are skeptical of marriage. A lot of young people are making mistakes today. A lot of young people are making huge mistakes by not abiding by God's principles for dating and courtship and and keeping pure and uh, saving themselves from marriage. This is the only woman I've ever been intimate with. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I thank God for that. I'm the only one that she's ever been intimate with, and I praise the Lord for that, Uh, but Young people have lost trust and confidence in institutions, and they lump marriage in with that, and they say, you know, it's just half of them in in divorce anyhow, so it's no big deal. Marriage is just a piece of paper. It's one of the messages I'll preach on in this series. It's more than just a piece of paper, by the way, Uh, spoiler alert, but disappointment and disillusionment erode the hopes and dreams of a couple that once promised till death do its part, and too often the courthouse ends what the church house began. What's needed is a new vision for what could be restored rather than replaced. I don't know how long ago, probably, mm, I'm going to guess maybe almost 100 years ago, there was a new oak armoire. I don't know if I said that right. It's French, so we'll have to get a Gat's take on that, but it's a wardrobe, okay? And it stood shiny and brand new in a store and it was perfect and it was purchased and over the years it was utilized, it was moved from room to room and house to house and in the process the decorative trim on the top became loose and came off and the owner's nailed it back together as best they could with different kinds of nails, some of them finishing nails without heads, some of them uh, heads, uh, nails with big heads on them, and they, they just kept it together. And over the years, it got scratched and scarred, and, and the clear varnish turned dark, almost black, and it cracked, and the owners of this old, tired piece of furniture passed away, and their granddaughter, my wife, saw great potential in that piece of furniture. She had it shipped from Texarkana to San Diego, where we disassembled it, stripped of the old finish, restained and refinished it. The holes and gouges were filled in, and joints were re-glued, and it is, again, a beautiful, functional piece of furniture for at least one more generation It sits in my office at home. Worn and damaged marriages can often be restored like that old armoire. If people just will. The holes can be filled, and the scars can be restained. And The finish can be remade new again. That hope is in the power and the person of the one who wants to be the foundation of your marriage, who intended to be the foundation of your marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't know why, but most of the time preachers start in verse 22. I think it's even in your outline, verse 22, but I want you to skip up to verse 21 because that's. let's be fair about this. And verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. (laughs) A lot of guys like to skip that verse and go to the other one. Uh, but, but let's start right there submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord that's an amazing command I read it and I almost gasp every time I read that for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body this is so sexist is it not this is so incredible. How in the world could you as a woman ever submit to another human being as unto the Lord? It makes no sense, humanly speaking, whatsoever. But then he ties it in with another principle. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So there is this mutual submission that is taught. Wives, you're reminded then that in the first few verses, the first three or four verses, to submit yourselves unto your husband. First three. But then there are nine verses for the husband. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing it should be holy and without blemish. And he continues, Paul says, So ought men love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. There are people who get to the point of hating their own lives and don't take care and, and they do not take care of themselves and do themselves injury. But that's not the normal thing. The natural state of, of a human being is to cling to life, to want to live, to try to do everything we can uh, to be around, and, and so love your wife as you love life itself. There are cases and stories and real-life situations where people were victorious over insurmountable odds in order to stay alive and, and did amazing things in order to stay alive. And so as you would protect this body, guys, you're to protect that bride. You're to protect that wife. You're to make sure that you protect her in every way that you possibly can. For no man ever hates his own flesh but loves it as the Lord loves the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to examine your marriage and to see the possibilities and to revive hope. I've told you already, and you'll hear it again, um, and I unashamedly say so. I, I tell people I'm still on my honeymoon, I don't want the honeymoon to quit. Ryan and and Hope, don't let the honeymoon quit. Anybody who's, Katie, you guys, don't let the honeymoon stop. Keep it going because there's something about when you say, well, the honeymoon's over, there's something in that that's a hint of discouragement and and a hint of of depression and and a giving up of something that's very, very important. So we're going to talk about rekindling the flame, having a family tune up, letting you know there is a carpenter who can do wonders when it comes to restoration and his name. Is Jesus Christ. So having said that, some common myths of marriage. We all have unrealistic expectations probably. We romanticize the whole idea. And when things don't go as we thought they should go because of some unrealistic expectation that we have of that other person imagining they're somehow perfect in every way. Imagining their hair never gets messed up. Imagining they never have bad breath. Imagining they never say the wrong thing. Imagining they always cater to every whim that we have. We sometimes become unhappy, disappointed, or cynical. And some people wrongly come to the conclusion that they have, in fact, married the wrong person. And I want to challenge you, uh, especially if you think about looking for that special person somewhere else outside of your marriage, instead of uh, to, to rather to hang on uh, and, and to get what's wrong fixed, to get the help that you need and to determine to do what's right to do. So the, the, the myths are uh, the for me myth. Finally, I have found this person who will meet all my wants and needs. Uh, that is self-centered. That is something that wants to make me happy. I'm concerned about making me happy. Marriage is uh, supposed to be a we relationship, not a me relationship. Uh, there's a need to be concerned about each other. And my, when I'm watching out for her, when I'm doing for her, and she's doing for me, we are happy. We are content. We are, we are blessed. Uh, things, I mean, they can't get any better than that. When we're watching out for each other, Paul said in Romans chapter 20, verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, putting the other person ahead of you. There's the marriage is easier myth. The idea is that burdens shared with someone else makes them more manageable. Have you ever heard the phrase, two can live as cheaply as one? Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, if you you only have a dime left, that means there's only a nickel apiece. So, you know, do the math. The reality is that two people of different genders with different backgrounds, with different experiences, and different families, and different baggage, and different expectations add up to a mix of mystery and sometimes madness. This becomes more evident uh, after you get back from the honeymoon, and when life continues, and it's associated with heated arguments about money, about in-laws, about sex, about schedules, about friends, about weight, about appearances, or even scratches on the car. So there is no magic about if the two are together, then every burden is easier to carry. Now there is a truth that is embedded in that, and when you have more help, you can carry the real burdens of life more efficiently. There's the no effort myth. If our marriage is right, then it'll just happen, like magic. Woo! You need one of those little magic wands. A, a little a sprinkle of a little fairy dust on your on your marriage, and everything's you know. Uh, the only the, the reality is that marriage requires hard work and choices, painful choices sometimes. Some people wrongly think if you have to work at it. Then it's something must be wrong. No, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Correct. That's what my mom used to tell me. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. There's the happiness myth, which is kind of related to the first one, but this is the one that uh, that, that we always hear at the end. And they lived happily ever after, as if. There was never a bump in the road from that day forward. Uh, and again, the personal goal of that is my eternal happiness. And it's unrealistic to assume a spouse will always make you happy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's an impossible role to fill. Then there's the lost love myth. It's rooted in the idea that love is a feeling. We, we, I think we really don't understand what love is. I think sometimes we confuse lust with love. I think sometimes we think love is, is, is a feeling that comes and we have it for a while and it's wonderful and then it starts to kind of uh, you know fade away and then some day we wake up and all of a sudden it's gone. And it's like the parrot in that ad that used to sing, uh, The Thrill is Gone. Yeah, I, I remember what the ad was for now, but it was too long ago. Some of you are looking at me like... A parrot. Uh, the thrill is gone. In this myth, love is fickle and fragile, and, and the fear is that you can't fall back into love. But let me tell you something. Love is a decision and a commitment. Love is a choice. Because if your love is unconditional, there's nothing you can do to keep me from loving you. Nothing. Unconditional love. I will love you, period, no matter what. And no matter how... Tough things get, I'm going to love it. It's a decision. It's a commitment. Uh, Look, the Bible never ever, can you agree with me on this? The Bible never commands us to do what we're not able to do, and yet the Bible tells the husband to love the wife. The Bible tells the wife to love the husband. So he's not going to command us to do what we're incapable of doing. He will give you that ability. This this number six, the, the myth, we are so different. We are so different. Duh. Yes, you are different. Would you really want to marry someone just like you? I wouldn't want to marry someone just like me. I wouldn't. It usually dawns on people after they are married, we are nothing alike. I've had people sit in my counseling office. We are nothing alike. We are opposites. This must have been a really bad mistake. You know what? You're not alike, but your differences help make you a whole. Your strengths and weaknesses ought to complement each other. C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, not P-L-I-M-E-N-T. Uh, the eyes are not bad either, compliments, but we ought to complete each other. That's the whole idea uh, of marriage. And so if two pieces of a puzzle are alike, they cannot be connected. Pat and I are so different. So entirely different in in every imaginable way. I just kind of stepped on the gas a little bit today because I had to get around somebody, and she's like freaking out. I'm like, this is awesome, man. This guy's going to pick up here. And she's like, don't scare me. I'm like, it's not scary. It's fun. I like being up here. This is probably very carnal. I like being here. It's like, can you? Can you turn the lights up a little bit? You know, is there a spotlight? Not her. She likes to be in, She'll do stuff all day long, and she, but she likes to be in the background. It's not like I had those weird cars for so long. I, I drove strange cars because, you know, people would say, what kind of car? Wow. What is it? and it's like she's like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. We're so different. I realized this right after we got married when I had a place for everything. Anybody like that? You have a place for everything. And she has a place for everything. It's wherever it, she happens to put it. And it's like when we first got married, and she's like, uh, Where's my purse? When's the last time you saw me carrying your purse? Uh, where's my keys? Where's my sunglasses? We've got sunglasses in all of our cars, in all of our places, and we, in, in every room. Yeah, I mean, we got those other glasses in every room. Last night I, I came in and I had I had a I've got a little remote garage door opener. When I walk my dogs I, I take it with me so I can open the garage door when I get back. And I, I wound up in the living room late at night, getting ready to go to bed and I still had that and I always hang it on a pegboard in the garage, and I said, Pat, I'm going to put it right here. This is very unlike me. I'm going to put it right here, and uh, instead of putting it away, it'll be right here. So when I say, where's my remote? Who, who stole my remote? What, who, who got my remote? What'd you do with my remote? You remind me that I put it. I, you know, I couldn't go to bed. I had to go back and get that dumb key thing, remote, and put it out in the garage and hang it. Is there anybody else that had the same problems I do on that? Yeah, Okay. And so I figured out early on I could either make a big deal about all that when she didn't have a clue where her keys or purse were or sunglasses were or I could just say, it's okay. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on "so okay. <laughs> all right? But I don't make a big deal. We are different. We are different. We, and, and, and her strengths so make up for my deficiencies. What God intended marriage to be is this. From the beginning in Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female created he them. Man was unique from the rest of creation. Man was not animal creation. Don't let the evolutionists tell you that. We're not vegetables, we're not animals, we are created in the image of God. The polecats and skunks and and opossums and the giraffes are not made in the image of God, but you and I are made in the image of Almighty God. And we're male and female. I know we talk a lot about God being he, and, and, and the masculine is used so much of the time, but sometimes neutral is, the, the neuter is used, and, and the fact of the matter is that, that God displays uh, things like uh, the, the mother hen that gathers her chicks under her wings, and God is not a male. God is something else beyond that. But we're made in the image of God, and, and complete, we, we, we are the image of God and, and, and he fashioned and formed us with his hands. In Genesis 2, 7, God formed the man of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. A man became a living soul. He didn't breathe the breath of life into the, uh, the beasts of the field. He didn't breathe the breath of life into the fish or into the birds of the air. He breathed it into the nostrils of man. and The Bible says he formed, and this word formed in the Hebrew means sculpted and molded. He is the Potter, we are the clay. Adam was the original clay. And all the rest of creation reflects his incredible power, but we reflect his genius. And when we were placed in the perfect environment of the Garden of Eden, and we began ruling over through our father Abraham, and God said, Let us let us make man in our image, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our not, we're not made in the image of angels. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But then there's these words that God says that to many is mystifying. There was something not good. Everything else was good. Everything God did was good. But in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. It's not good a man to be alone. I can vouch for that. I don't have to have a lot of people around, but I need her around. Some of you ladies, she'll go to lunch with you or something, and I'm so thankful. I'm glad for that, and I'll say, I'll just have some crackers or water. I'll be be okay, Pat. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Is, am, I, am I telling the truth? Yeah pretty pitiful, pretty not to the point of embarrassment, but pretty pitiful. yeah. God said, it's not good, the man's alone. He said that's a problem. Had God forgotten about it until this point? Why didn't God create Adam and Eve at the same time the same moment? Hey, why didn't God create Eve? And then have her give birth. Well, that would be weird. That would be creepy. Never mind. I didn't think that one through. Uh, Okay, yeah. God reveals himself not by only what he does, but what he chooses not to do. And God had a solution for Adam's companionship and his aloneness, and it was a job. All these animals he created, I'm going to bring them to you now, and I want you to name them. So there's the importance of companionship. Uh, in, In Genesis 2, 19 and 20, all the animals were created, brought to Adam for naming. And when Adam named all these animals and saw all these animals, he noticed there was two of each kind, but not someone who was his counterpart. So his job taught him, everybody else has mates except for me. And what Adam discovered was, was what God knew from the beginning, that human aloneness was not good and that, that in doing something good was not a replacement for a meaningful re- relationship. And so second thing here, purposeful work is not always fulfilling enough. Not always, I say. There are some who God is allowed to be single and they're perfectly content with that and God is their... A significant person and they dedicate themselves to that and that's okay but fellas for most of us work is not all we need and yet we spend so much of our time dedicated to our work and ignore that which is the most important which is that person who completes us and who together with us is the very image of almighty God our creator So work is not all you need. Now, the next thing I'm going to say you're going to think is heresy, but think about it for a minute and check out what I have to say about what the Bible has to say about it. A relationship with God may not be all we need because Adam had a relationship with God and he was still what? Lonely. The Word of God says there are exceptions, and and I recognize that. Some do not have the desire or the need to marry, and that is okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But for many of us, we need other relationships as well. Jesus said these words, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first and great commandment. And he said the second one is like unto it, you shall love thy neighbors thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There was love and a relationship with God and love and relationship with others. And God's design for Adam was to discover what God already knew, that God's solution was a woman, one woman. You notice he didn't create a harem for Adam. Adam. The provision of a partner. God put Adam to sleep. First anesthesia anywhere in the Bible, right here. God put him to sleep. Had him count down backwards for hundred. And he took from Adam's side bone and flesh, and he fashioned and created with that. With the you see, with from the crust of the earth, all of the elements that are, that are necessary there to. All of the stuff we're made of comes from the elements. Well, then God took from Adam bone and flesh and created then Eve and brought her to him. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. When he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he built a woman and brought her unto the man. She was tailor-made, custom for Adam and Adam for her. Perfect match. The matchmaker. God is the matchmaker. And so he, when he saw, can you imagine when he first saw her? I mean, he'd seen all the other animals, right? All the other animals. He'd seen, you know, everything is pretty impressive stuff. But he saw Eve. And he burst forth in poetic verse, not common for most men. And he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, for she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And he said, whoa, man. And that's what he called her a little license there but two were made from one and they were perfect complements there was the physical complement that was obvious but there was the relational complement that is far too unobvious to too many people because together they were one again and a man's job very clearly outlined in Ephesians chapter 5 is to love and to protect and provide for that woman that person That most important human being on the earth for him. And Eve was built from the man and for the man. And only Eve could complete what was lacking in him. So the process of two becoming one is kind of unique. Well, not kind of. It's unique. There's a separation. In Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Leave the father and mother, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, exchanging the natural loyalties from parents, the very first people we've ever known, to one spouse. The word leave there can be translated forsake, keeping in mind we're to honor them always, but there's that breaking of that relationship, that, that leaving and cleaving. Mom and dad, guys, ought not be the ones to tell you what to do and what decisions to make. Ladies, mom and dad ought not be the ones. You have each other. Separation. Leave father and mother and joined unto his wife. Then there's this bonding. To be united means to be bonded or glued. It's an emotional, relational, spiritual bonding that makes us inseparable. And I say when people get married, it's kind of it's, it's like, Uh, they're, they're put together in such a way and glued together with a holy glue so that, like plywood, there's no way they can ever be separated again without doing damage to the individual pieces of veneer. They will splinter and crack and break. They can be separated, but they'll never be quite the same again. Jesus said unto them, Have you not read, He which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, wherefore there are no more two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Later on, Jesus would give, in fact, a couple of reasons why people can put away a mate for infidelity, for desertion. But otherwise, you said, you, you are glued together. Anybody know what a dovetail joint is on drawers? Yeah, dovetail? Where, the, where they're cut precise, precise. The best drawers are going to be put together with dovetail, So they interlock, and then they're glued, and they will not come apart. And when the bold strength of a man's heart is joined with the tender beauty of a woman's, they reflect God and his strength and his beauty. And there's the celebration. The physical union, very meaningful within the bonds of matrimony, condemned and judged when outside the bonds of matrimony. Young adults, don't give in to the pressures of a secular world that tells you you need to sample it first, you need to kind of see if you things work out well first give it give it have a trial basis and if it works out okay then maybe Genesis 2:25 says there were naked but there was no shame naked but no shame an openness and can we can we go beyond just the physical here can we can we understand there needs to be this psychological, spiritual, mental openness between a man and a woman whom God has destined to be together, whom God has glued together. The purpose of this oneness in marriage is connection symbolizing the triunity of God. He being three is yet one. We being two are yet one. It's complementary. It's the union of heart and soul and mind and body and will and direction and passion and purpose. We can complete each other's sentences. We can finish each other's sentences. It's the will to share everything in life. It's the will and the longing to know each other. My heart breaks for people who are married who don't know this connection, this oneness. Because if they don't know that, then it's been replaced with conflict and chaos. And instead of allies, they become enemies. <laughs> We've been so blessed we, in so many ways. I, I, I hear some things that some people go through and I don't know how they do it. I know it's the grace of God. But I'll tell you what, being on the same page, loving God, loving each other, being devoted, there's no, there's no plan B. <laughs> there is no plan B. Plan A, right here. I know in heaven we're not, you know, whereas the angels were not, but we got this deal. If we could do, I don't know, <laughs> I want my mansion next to hers with visitation rights or whatever, you know. <laughs> I know whatever God does, he does infinitely better than I could ever imagine or hope. But if your relationship, if your marriage has become deeply marred and the beauty of God's original design has somehow, like that old wardrobe, been scarred, And beaten up. You might think it's good for nothing but the junk heap. But I'll tell you what. Jesus can repair it. Jesus can make it as good as new. Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're married today, my whole desire, my purpose, my point this this morning was to get you to recommit to each other to get you to, to determine to love each other again with a honeymoon love, to get you to forgive, to get you to respect each other, to get you to put the other person first in front of yourself, to commit not only to each other, but to commit to God, to be that family, that couple, that are the very image of almighty God unified in his triunity, us unified in our duality, and our two-ness becoming one. Father, I pray for every marriage represented in this church. Lord, I know the enemy wants to discourage and destroy. I know that he wants to tempt and draw hearts away from where they rightfully belong. I know the lust of the flesh is something with which all of us wrestle. But I pray God that we would start even with our thoughts that we would make sure that we're not engaging in activities of flirting and inappropriate relationships with those of the opposite sex and We're not on computer sites that would draw us down a dead end road. God, I pray that we would regard that person to whom we're married as the provision, the completer to us, and that we would treat them with the respect and love that they deserve. Father, I pray for anybody here who's not saved that they would understand that that's how much Christ loved us, that he was willing. Not only to live for us, he was willing to die for us, and die for us he did on the cross. And there's not a person here who's guilty of any sin whatsoever who cannot be forgiven and cleansed from that sin and saved from the wrath to come. So God bless us today. Lord, help us to do what we ought to do. Help us to make that commitment that we ought to make. Help us to be the person, the man, the woman that we ought to be today. Lord, for those who are single and dating and looking forward, I pray, God, that their standards would stay high and that they would match up with what your standards for them ought to be. For those who have failed and messed up, Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of the forgiveness that you offer and determine from this point forward to live by your word. God, bless this church. God, bless the people here, the members and the visitors alike, and help us to be committed to each other and committed to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as they sing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and pray together, maybe as husband and wife, maybe recommitting to each other. Maybe, just, maybe your marriage is great, and you just like to come and thank God for it. But we'll have my wife down here, myself down here, and any other counselors who can make it down here. But come on and do what God wants you to do today, okay? Whatever it is, if you need to receive Christ as your Savior, we're here to show you how to be born again. So as they sing, just leave where you are. Come down to the front
1: right now.
0: myths of marriage. You probably have a few of your own. You can share those with me. And if I ever preach that again, I'll include those. Uh, The the box for the visitor cards, if you filled one out, and for the tithes and offerings in the back next to the double doors right to the left there, Um, we're putting together care packages. Did you bring stuff for care packages? If you did not, you could still bring it by tomorrow morning. Uh, stuff that would be good that we could mail out to. I think we have four people deployed. Uh, if if we don't know that your loved one's deployed, please, please, please let us know. And nuts, candy that won't necessarily melt, sunflower seeds, newspapers, devotionals, beef jerky, crackers, snacks, not perishable things, no mints that permeates everything. Uh, bring those tomorrow morning. We're going to send out... Four care packages that we know of to those that are deployed. Uh, Next Friday, ladies' Bible study right here at 9.30, I believe. Is that correct? 9.30? And then uh, next Sunday, family, tune up what marriage has become in our society. What marriage has become. And new member class, April 29th. If you are thinking about being a member, or if you for sure want to be a member, sign up with Julie. And uh, right after church, on the 29th, we'll have lunch together. We'll have the class together. And uh, we'll explain what's necessary for membership. And we have to do that in order to be members. So hope that you'll do that. Next week, what marriage has become. All right, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the blessings you've given to us. I thank you, Lord, for giving me my wife. I thank you for what she means to me. And I pray, God, that I would be the person for her that would model what Christ is to the church. Lord, I need your help to do that. So be with me, I pray. Be with each guy here, each gal here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day today. Thanks.